chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and today we get to cover verses 27 through 42. As we basically look at the Lord Jesus Christ, a few things about his life, and really I think the primary reason that these things are written is that you and I would have a greater faith. You know, I believe that a lot of the struggles that we have in life, a lot of the struggles really that our family has in life, and the society that we live in is due to a lack of faith. You know, John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, what's our problem? You know, what seems to be the thing that's holding us back or taking us down? You know, what is it? Why is it that we're not flying? Why is it that we're not walking with passion? Why is it that we're distracted so many times? You know, and there's a lot of things that are going on in our life. And and really, I think the primary reason for all this is because, you know what, we we really don't believe. You know, we believe maybe we got saved. But for some reason, I think a lot of times our faith is not growing and we don't believe like we should. And so we're going to see today the Lord just really speaking to us. First, he kind of shows us his glory, and he says, look at who I am. Believe in me. After that, he kind of gets disappointed, frustrated, you know, with his disciples who by, by this time should be doing great miracles, and God's going to challenge us to, to believe in him. And then we're going to see an example of what a difference it makes when you really believe in the Lord. Not just having life in his name so that when you die, you go to heaven. But having life in his name so that when you live, you'll experience heaven. Our Lord is great. Our Lord is strong. We just have to have a strong faith in him. Look what it says here in verse 27. Jesus said, I I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he, Jesus, took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The first thing we see today is a slight revelation. If I could just say that. It's a slight revelation. You know, Jesus here, if you remember the context, is talking about the cross. He's talking about how he himself is going to be nailed to a cross. You know, Peter then struggles with that. And he says, no, Lord, not you, you know. I mean, you know, don't even think that. I I can't even fathom the thought of you dying on a cross. And then, you know, Jesus told Peter, man, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then he says, as a matter of fact, just as I have to die on a cross, you know, and I have to take up my cross, you need to take up your cross, and you need to die to yourself. You need to live a life not of selfishness, but of selflessness, willing to lay down your life for your God. You know, and, and so he's giving the whole message of the cross But then it's kind of cool. Before it's over, he kind of gives a message about the coming crown. 
And so that helps us through the cross one day when you're going through life. And, of course, you just do it because you love the Lord. But as you're going through life and you're denying yourself, you realize, you know what? On the other side of this cross is a crown. It's a crown. God's going to crown you. God's going to crown us just as Jesus himself was crowned. And that's why he says right there in the middle of that whole message, man, I tell you truly, this is the truth. There are some standing here and they're going to see the kingdom of God. You know, the the other versions, the other gospels tell them, I see the Son of Man coming in his power. The kingdom of God present on earth. They're going to see something. They're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And so it was about eight days later. Um, we know, according to Luke and I mean Mark and Matt, that it was actually six. This word "about" means just just approximately. You know how sometimes you don't know how many days, but you know here it is right here. And he says that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And I always wonder. I don't know if you guys ever wonder why Peter, John, and James. Why just them? Why doesn't he take all of them everywhere? And, you know, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say explicitly. But I would say there's a principle that God gives us, and that is this, that when we have a special, you know, um, I don't know, declaration, that there must be a special manifestation, you know, that when there's a special destination, there requires a special revelation. Peter, John, and James had a special calling. You know, they were all called to the ministry, but Peter, John, and James, they were really instrumental in the founding of the church. And so they needed to see certain things. And, you know, you and me, we're all different. God has a different calling for you than he does for me. He's going to show me things that he won't show you. He's going to show you things that he won't show me because we all have a special place in life. And that's why you're going through the things you're going through because God is preparing you for the way that he wants to use your life. And so he shows you things, Peter, John, and James. Now, some people may argue, and they say, Manny, I don't know about that, because Peter, I saw the way he was used. He wrote a couple of letters in the Bible, and he was used greatly on the day of Pentecost, and we see him clearly in the book of Acts as a leader. And you know, then you might even say, John, you know, we understand John. He wrote the gospel, first, second, and third. John, he wrote Revelation. We see him there, great, instrumental in the church. But what about James? I mean, Manny, you know what? All I hear about James is that he died. What's the big deal about dying? What? What's the big deal about dying? It's a big deal. He was the first apostle to die as a martyr. And the Lord obviously had to prepare him for that. It was a great thing. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When people like Jim Elliott or others, they lay down their life, it paves the way. It strengthens the church. There's a great calling on the life of James. Not only that, if you do the the math, it's real simple to realize that if he was the first one to die, then he probably was the leader at that point. After James died, then he went looking for Peter. And so they were able to see things that would prepare them for the ministry. That's why he calls Peter, James, and John and He does that, you know, when he rises a little girl and when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he gets them ready and they go up the mountain. We see now and notice the reason that Jesus went up on the mountain because he wanted to go hiking. No, that's not what it says, right? He went up on the mountain to do what? To pray. He went up on the mountain to pray. 
doesn't that trip you out how Jesus prayed so much? We see it a lot in the Gospel of Luke. You know, and, and of course, so I know we've heard this a million times, but if he needed to pray, do you need to pray? You know, some people will say, I don't need to pray. I've got a lot of other things going on, you know, and God's moving and God's doing things. And, and I think a lot of times we don't take prayer seriously as we should. But Jesus was willing to go up the mountain to pray. He was willing to go up that incline. He was really willing, you know, to take, I guess you could say, the, the road less traveled, the more difficult path in order to pray. How, how important it was to him. And if I could just, again, man, encourage you. In your prayer life, I know we live in America, and I know we've got a lot of responsibilities, and we're taking the kids, you know, everywhere, and, you know, all over the place, and we've got different things going on, and, you know, I don't want to give you, you know, um, some, you know, unnecessary, you know, guilt, but I want to encourage you that, that you, you know, if Jesus needed to pray, that you need to pray, that we need to get away, that we need to go to the prayer meetings, that we need to go up the mountain, that we need to spend that time with our Heavenly Father. You don't have to say memorize prayers, you know, superficially. Just talk to God. Tell Him your hurts. Tell Him your troubles. You know, I mean, not therapy. It's more powerful than that. I'm not talking about just getting things off your chest, although even that does help. I'm talking about talking to your father. I'm talking about lifting up your children to God, your, your husband, your spouse, your friends, your church, your community. You're lifting them up to God in such a way, so to speak, so that he would touch them. And yet so many times I think we're too busy to pray. I want to encourage you guys to fall in love with the Lord and, and to talk with him. Remember, that's what it all is all about, you know, before you were a Christian, you didn't have a relationship with God. You couldn't talk to him. Okay, now you're a Christian and you can. You can. You can come boldly before the throne. And so that's what Jesus does, right? He goes up the mountain to pray, but something happens when he prays. It says right here that as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. You know, when the Lord went up to pray, I don't know what he was saying to his father. But we do know this. In the ministry of Jesus Christ at this point, the Galilean ministry has now ended. And now he's come to a point in his life, he kind of makes a right turn. And guess where he's headed? He is headed to the cross. He's going to the cross now. The Bible says he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. And there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, we've seen him honest with God, you know, many times. He's just saying, God, the cross is in front of me, you know, and strengthen me, Father. Strengthen me. You know, there's no doubt. I bet you that's what he was talking about. He's talking about his coming departure. We know later when Moses and Elijah come, that's what they end up talking about. So that's probably what he's telling his father, you know, and as he's there, it's so cool. What ends up happening is his glory then, you know, becomes revealed. It says that his face was altered. And, you know, you look at that right there and his appearance was changed. The other Gospels, they use the Greek word uh, metamorpho, 
you know, we get our English word metamorphosis. And the English word, it means a change of the form or nature into a completely different one. It means to change from immature to mature. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's the changing of a caterpillar to a butterfly, you know. And that, that's the bottom line is that I think that prayer does that. Of course, I don't want to over-spiritualize that. But I do believe that prayer changes things. Prayer changes me, right? And as Jesus was praying, his face was, was changed. And the Bible says that his face uh, it, it was like the, the sun, it says in Matthew 17, too. So his face shone like the sun. If you can just kind of close your eyes or whatever, visualize that. His face shone like the sun. It must have been so amazing. And his clothes, now all his clothes, probably prior to that, I'll bet you almost anything they were dirty, you know, because they didn't wash their clothes every day. I'll bet you his clothes were a little dirty, but all of a sudden right there, it says they become white. Uh, Matthew 17, 2 says it was white as the light. Mark 9, verse 3 says they became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning, the NIV says. And right there and then, there's a slight revelation. Now, I don't believe Jesus was revealed in his full glory, because if he was revealed in his full glory, what would have happened to the guys? They would have died, right? But they got a slight revelation of him. And they needed to see that. And that's what we see here. The, the whole message is, you know, Matthew and, and, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John, they needed to see him in this exalted state. You know, when I think of Jesus and his face shining like the sun, I think of the book of Revelation 21:23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And so they're there on the mountain. According to my son, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the region. You know, and they're praying. Jesus is praying. And all of a sudden, he just is transfigured. He, they see his glory. Because then they eventually, look what it says right here in verse 30. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Must have been so cool, huh? Moses and Elijah, they're talking with the Lord. You know, undoubtedly they were in a different state as well. A lot of people believe Moses and Elijah because according to Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses would come, and it seems like these are the two guys that are going to come back due to the nature of their miracles. We're pretty sure, we're almost sure about Elijah, not 100% sure about Moses. But what we see is they're here and the Lord is talking with them. And it says in verse 31 that they spoke of his decease. Notice that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But notice what happens next. In verse 32, Peter and those with him, they were heavy with sleep. And, you know, we see that a lot, huh, these guys. Poor guys. Huh? They must have worked early, huh? They're always falling asleep, man. <laughs> but they're heavy asleep. And then they wake up. Look what it happens. It says right here. And what ends up happening, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, bingo. They saw his glory. Do you see his glory? Because if you don't, there's no hope for you. You've got to see his glory, right? And then what ends up happening, they see the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were departing, these guys were taken off, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Notice it says, 
not knowing what he said. <laughs> the other uh, gospels tell us in Mark 9, verse 6, they did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't know what to say, what should you say? Nothing, right? It's better for people to think you're a fool than for you to say something and then prove it, right? <laughs> I've learned that a lot in my life. I'm like, Manny, don't say anything, man. Just wait, right? Until the Lord gives you the words. But here they are. He doesn't know what to say. And really, he, he doesn't, he's not lined up with the Lord at this point. God is working on these guys. And when I look at their mistakes, I think, man, there's hope for me, Lord. But he's working on these guys. Because right now, what does he say? Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What's he doing? He's basically saying that you're all the same. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, right? I mean, Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. Moses and Elijah, the two great figures of the Old Testament. Jesus, you're right in league with them. But look what happens. The Lord corrects it. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son hear him when the voice had ceased jesus was found alone but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen you see and this morning what god wants to do you guys is god wants to speak to us a message regarding the revelation of jesus christ you know that you you have that that place in your heart where he is just like you know this king that sits on the throne of your heart. And there's no one that can tell you to do anything contrary to him. He rules your life. It's not the law, it's not the prophets. It's a personal and intimate and powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we don't, you know, raise or esteem any other man or woman, doesn't matter who they are, that Jesus is your Lord. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. One of the other Gospels, it says that, you know, after this whole thing and the voice of the Father came, it says, and then they lifted up their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus only. See, a lot of times I think our problems are we're following men. We're afraid of men. We're trying to please men. And that is the surefire way to failure. You know, you guys, it's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, right? And as you have that understanding, and as the father points to his son, we need to really take heed to that. He says, this is my beloved son. He says right here, hear him, verse 35. And that takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like me, him you shall hear. Listen to him, or you're going to be in big trouble, right? And so God really wants us to listen to Jesus. He really does. Now there's so much here, you guys, but but one of the things I do encourage you, we don't have time to go there, but in Second Peter chapter one, verses twelve and forward, what you'll find is that Peter said this. Peter said, We didn't make this up. This is not some clever story that we came up with. Peter says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard the voice from heaven. And that's what Christianity is, you guys. It's not, you know, just something that guys made up. You know, there's 26,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that testify of the history 
of Jesus Christ, of what he's done, of his glory, of his majesty. And Peter says, man, we saw it with our own eyes. We've heard it with our own ears. We've lived it with our own life and heart. And now we write it with our own hands, right? So that you and I would believe in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I think that's interesting in this right here is the way that the father speaks to the son. Notice again in verse 35, this is my beloved son, hear him. Now, when you read beloved son, what do you read? What you read is the father saying, this is the son that I love so much. He says in the other gospels, in whom I am well pleased. What it was, Warren Wiersbe says, is an encouragement to his son. You know, and you speak those words of affirmation over your children, man. Look for opportunities to encourage them and say, man, good job. I'm proud of you. You know, and when you do that, you don't realize how powerful that is to your children. You know, I think a lot of kids, they'll go through life and, man, all they ever hear from their parents are, you know, words of negativity and words of condescension. And words of discouragement. And, you know, no, 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 no. And I understand we have to say no. I understand we have to correct them at times. But understand the power of your encouraging words to your children. That's what the father did with the son. Son, I love you so much. I'm so pleased with you. This word of encouragement to his son. And then it was words of clarification to the disciples. Hear him. If I could just get this in your heart, if I could just get this in my heart, follow Jesus Christ, we'd be in great shape. But I think a lot of times we're following the world or we're following the Christian celebrities. We're following, you know, ourselves. He just says, follow my son. This is my son. Listen, hear him. You see, that's what we need. And, and so even in this, it, it's not everything. One day we're going to see the Lord in his full glory. But we see a little snippet, a little glimpse of his glory, a slight revelation. And, and, then, and then God really speaks to us. Listen, you guys, wake up. I love you. Peter, James, and John, <laughs> let it be all about my son. First thing is a slight revelation. The second thing we look at is a right frustration. Now, this is interesting because look what it says in verse 37. Now, it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain. Okay, so first they went up. Now they're coming down. That a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And it finally, it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And so I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? As we move through our study today, we see a slight revelation. We see Jesus and his glory, I pray you would see him. But then we see a, a right frustration. And, and, and I know it sounds kind of weird, but you've got to just take it at face value. Who's frustrated? 
in one sense. And of course, you've got to make sure you define that word properly. God is. God is saying, what's up? That's what God is saying. God is saying, I am tripping out on you guys. I have given you power over demons. I have given you the power of my Holy Spirit. I've given you the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting. Why is it that you cannot cast out demons? And if you think about that, that's, that's pretty heavy, man. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, our expectations are, are a little low, even for myself, you know. This right here is very challenging for me, and I'm not going to run from the challenge. I'm not going to. You know, there were people that we met in Cambodia. There are people I've met on the streets of Garvey that I know are demon-possessed. Okay, Manny, why didn't you cast them out? The bottom line is, is I'm not there yet. But I'm, I'm now I'm finding myself, God is saying, listen, Manny, it's, this is not the super saying. It's anyone who's willing to walk in my power. God, you know, here is kind of frustrated you know, and, and he calls them a perverse and faithless generation. Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to probably everybody, you know. He's probably talking to his disciples who were supposed to be the leaders. He's probably talking to the father of this child. And if you think about that for us, you know, there's, you know, certain, you know, applications for us as a society, us as a leadership us as fathers. He expects us to be able to deal with these things and the power that he provides. You know, and if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, that's not for me today. Or you're thinking, you know, Manny, that's just for, you know, I don't know, the Pope or something, man. You know what, you're wrong. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. He was just like you and me. And so what I'm saying is that let's rise to the challenge, you guys. Let's realize that our God, you know, he gives us this, you know, slight revelation and he gives us this right frustration and he challenges us with this. And, you know, because what's happening? What's happening? Our children are suffering. That's what's happening. I mean, his father, he brings this, his son to, to Jesus. And notice again in verse 39, the spirit seizes him. And so the, the, the child cries out. It, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And notice it says it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. In other words, it doesn't want to leave him, and it tortures him. You know, and there's a lot of that going on that, that, that probably shouldn't be going on. Now, am I saying that God heals everybody? No. God doesn't heal everybody like that. You know, Mark 9 tells us that it was epilepsy. But God heals somebody. God heals more than you might realize. But the, the, the truth is, and I say this to myself, I, I say this to myself, we are not praying as we should. We are not fasting as we should. We are not seeking God as we should. And the Lord says, oh, faithless and perverse generation." He says, how long shall I bear with you? Now, I'm just so grateful to God that he is long-suffering, man, and he does bear with us, you know. 
But, but don't take advantage of that. Today is the day to awaken. Today is the day to arise. Today is the day to believe. Not just so that you would get saved, but so that they would get saved. It's not enough that I'm saved. It's not enough that you're saved. What about them? And that's only going to happen when we really believe. You know, don't tell me you believe and you don't pray. Don't tell me you really believe and you don't fast. Don't tell me you really believe and you don't read your Bible with a hungry heart, longing for God to speak to you. We see here even God himself was frustrated. And I just don't want that to be my fault, man. I'm praying that. And we're growing, you guys. And we're going forward as a church. And we're going forward as a congregation. And hopefully I'm going forward as a man of God. But I pray that we would believe. So that we would see things, you know, that God wants us to see. Faithless and perverse. Faithless and perverse. Faithless means you doubt. Right? And that when you doubt the Lord... You quench the spirit. I mean, if you can visualize it like this, that God wants to set you on fire, man. And, you know, that's just a passionate person. That's one of those weird Christians, right? You know, the Jesus freaks, right? Are you guys Jesus freaks? You know, God wants us to be like that Christian totally on fire. But when here you come and you're a doubter, it's like you quench it. You put that fire out. It's like all this water. Listen, I don't want any of that crazy stuff. But, you know, radical Christianity is real Christianity, Right? And so the faithless are the doubters, the perverse are the disobedient. And God says, do this, you don't do it. God says, don't do that, you continue to do it. And we, you know, we live in sometimes, you know, just the hardness of our heart or the neglect of so great a salvation. And God says, listen, man, you know, deal with the doubt, believe in me, believe in God. You know, I like what we. Red, it says what man accomplishes depends on what man believes. I like what Corey Tenboon said. She said this, If all things are possible with God, then all things are possible to him who believes in God. All things are possible. Think big. Dream big. No one's too far. Because God is real. You know, you look at this and you see the slight revelation of Jesus. You see here the the right frustration of Jesus. And then we close today with a tight restoration, if I can just say that, man. And when I say tight, I mean tight, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> tight is like cool, awesome. Because look what it says right here in verse 41. He says, okay, bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And talk about a tight restoration, man. That's what God wants to do. You know, God wants to bring that reconciliation. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation, of restoration, because things separate us. And it could be, you know, husband and wife and parent and child. It could be friends and enemies. And God wants to make everything right, not just between the human relationships, between the spiritual relationships. And what we have on the planet that we live on is a whole bunch of kids who don't know their father, who are separated from their father. 
And in a nutshell, what God wants to do is to use our lives to give them back to their Father. And that's what I would call a tight restoration. And I would just beg you to get caught up in the missionary work of Jesus Christ. He can do it. There's no one else that can. He can work through us. It's always God working through us. But as we allow him to work through us, what we see is that God does a work, uh, uh, a very you know, appropriate work in this world that we live in. And that's my encouragement to you guys today. You know, we see here a slight revelation, a right restoration, a tight restoration. Let us learn from that. In the Bible, we see Jesus. And so my encouragement to you, if you want to grow, number one, behold him. Behold him. See him in his glory. Number two, believe in him. Believe in him. With God, there's nothing that's impossible. And number three, bring others to him. Just like this father brought the son to, to Jesus, you know. And if you read Mark, it gives a big, big, fuller account of the whole story. And it's so cool how the Lord is, you know. The, the father brought the son to Jesus and and the, and, the, and the Lord said, okay, if you believe, man, we can work this thing out. And the father said, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> and I think that's, if we're honest, a lot of times where we're at. But don't let that stop you from bringing people to Jesus Christ. That's our heart, you guys. That's our desire. And there might even be some of you here today who have drifted away from the Lord and you don't know the Lord. You're not a Christian. Understand, man, that's what life is all about. It's not he who wins with the most toys, man, or the most toys wins. That's not how it works, man. You have a God who loves you, who made you, who died for you, who brought you here today so that you can give your life to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to study your word. I I know for me, in a nutshell, Lord God, it's just about believing more. And so I ask that you would help my unbelief. Lord, I ask that you would give us the grace and the strength and the power to be able to be used by you, Lord, to cast out demons, to bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to bring restoration. God, I pray you give me the faith to give life, Lord, to those who don't know you. And Father, I just pray that even now you would begin to stir hearts, Lord, and that many people would yield their life to Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We lift this time to you in Jesus' name.